Now, of course, most products update themselves sometimes every couple of days. The faster you can get those cycles of learn, input, change, test, learn, input, change, test, the better. Hey, everyone, I'm Mark Randolph, and welcome to That Will Never Work. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own business, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to level up. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then, using a combination of advice, encouragement, and tough love, nudge them just a little closer to realizing their dreams. While I'm known for co-founding Netflix and serving as its first CEO, my career as an entrepreneur spans four decades. Netflix was actually my fifth startup, and since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early-stage companies and mentor aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. Along the way, I've picked up hundreds of tips, tricks, and secrets, which I'm eager to share with my listeners. Helping others move their ideas forward has become my life's passion. So if you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, we'll prove the naysayers wrong. Sometimes the issues that entrepreneurs take on can be, uh, and I'm going to be polite here, overly focused. They end up being niche solutions for some narrow aspect of an industry that most people don't even know exists. But that's not the case for today's guest, who is co-founder of a company trying to do nothing other than raise global literacy rates. Dana's Method, an educational app that turns static source material into interactive literacy lessons. But trying to solve big problems usually raises big issues. And as Dana pursues the goal of global literacy, she needs to be careful to make sure her time, money, and resources go to the right places. I had a great time discussing what that path might look like, and I think you'll find it fascinating, as well as a good model for anyone trying to take on something big. Hey, Dana, welcome to That Will Never Work. I'm actually really excited to talk with you today. Because I think you're trying to solve a particularly interesting problem. And the reason it's so interesting is because I do a lot of work with college-age entrepreneurs. And usually, I'd say 95% of the time, the ideas they pitch me fall into one of two extreme categories. There is the small idea where they go, I've got this great idea. It's to tell us what is the current meal at each of the different food service halls so I don't need to go and look. And I go, okay, good idea, but that's not really going to change the world. Or they pitch me the other end of the spectrum. Mark, I've got this great idea for an app that's going to end world hunger. And that presents its own problems. So The reason I'm interested in chatting with you today, Dana, is because you are solving a big problem or you're trying to, and maybe it's not quite solving world hunger, but it's in the same ballpark. So what I think I'd love to do as a start today is have you actually fill us all in on what is the problem that you're trying to solve and then tell us a little bit about how you're trying to solve it. Sure. I'd be happy to. So around the world, There are nearly 1 billion people who can't read. 1 billion. Illiteracy is tied to poverty, poor health, and lack of economic opportunity. 
People don't learn to read for a variety of reasons. One of them is they don't have the money to go to school. They don't have the time to go to school. They have really bad teachers or the reading material that they're trying to read with is not in their local language. So we decided to try to solve that problem. And here's how we're trying to solve it. We've developed a platform. We call it our mobile literacy platform that can generate literacy apps in almost any language from existing content. And so we take content created by maybe USAID or other literacy organizations, and we use our teaching templates to turn the information in the book into a literacy app. And we've developed it on our platform so it can be pushed out to iOS, the web, and our native Android app allows all lessons to be accessed offline, which is a key selling point when you're working with people who can barely afford a cell phone, if not data plans or the internet, or they don't have access to internet. So that's us in a nutshell. So the lessons are actually created by you on your app, or you're basically creating a platform that anyone can use to create a lesson? Well, we wish anyone could do it right now, but right now it's a matter of filling out a spreadsheet because that's our database. That's the information that goes into the software that develops the app. So we take existing curriculum. So I'm just going to say like a USAID reading book for early grades. And then we comb through the exercises in the book and we say, oh, this exercise would work well in our fill in the blank screen. This exercise looks like it would work well with our choose screen. And then we build out the lessons in our platform and then it generates an app. But the thing I'm a little confused about is the word we. So in other words, your organization actually does this translation, so to speak, not I mean language translation, but from the written material onto your platform? Or are you just providing the platform that once you've done that, you can walk away and someone in some remote part of the world can do it without your being hands-on to it? Right now, we have to do it. And eventually, we'd like it. So there's a friendly user interface. So somebody could call up our choose screen, for instance, and key in all the right information, and voila, an app will pop out. But we're far from that. Right now, it's like a giant spreadsheet that Dana is typing information into. (laughs) Ask me how much I love spreadsheets. I always say that single-handedly, you're trying to save the world. So (laughs) it's interesting because these are technology platforms. This is running on, as you said, on smartphones, on the web. What's the overlap between the 1 billion people who are illiterate and also have access to a phone or a uh, computer? No, that's exactly right. It's huge because you can imagine if you're making 50 cents a day, you can't really afford even a $30 smartphone. So in upper middle income countries like Latin America, where we're going to do a pilot this fall, a lot of people have smartphones. So that's no problem. But when you get into, they're called low middle income countries in Africa, then a lot of people don't have smartphones. They're coming. How would they access this then? That's right. Well, so sometimes in schools, then we'd have to do students who are at schools and schools have computers. And so they could access the app, maybe like as a supplementary material at school, Because in Malawi, for instance, teachers will have 90 students in her class, 90. And if you think she's doing one-on-one teaching, that's crazy. But they do have computers. And the other route we're going with is libraries are starting to be built more and more in Africa. So there's a lot of kids who aren't in school, a lot of adults who aren't in school, and they could go to libraries to access the app too. And tell me where you are in terms of progress. Is this being used? Is it in development? Tell me how far along you are. 
Yeah. So we have our first paying customer. So that's pretty exciting. And we're in the process of creating, check this out. It's really fun. The company that we're working with has some literacy curriculum from 1965, paper-based curriculum from 1965. And I'm working with them to help them get it into the 21st century and into an app. And then they're going to pilot their app in Latin America, in Colombia and Mexico to see if it works. And then we're getting all sorts of traction, as you can imagine, because when COVID hit, people realized, oh, people can't go to schools to access information. So they need to get it digitally. And so there's a big push internationally for more infrastructure, cell phone towers, cheap smartphones, because if you're not connected in the age of COVID, you're kind of screwed. Right. The business model, you said you have a paying customer. That's great. Is this a for-profit or a not-for-profit company? We're a for-profit. Tell me how this is priced or how it is sold. Is it a SaaS product? They're paying a monthly fee to use it. Is it a one-time? Is it a consulting contract? Yes. How do you make money well, Yes. And, you know, yes, we could use some advice. So here's our business model right now. We charge partners a one-time fee to create the app. So that's a lot of one-on-one consulting of how to turn the written material into an app because I know our templates inside and out. So then they pay an upfront fee. And then they'll also pay an ongoing licensing fee to continue to license our platform because the app wouldn't run without our platform. And how much is our licensing fee? It depends. Like the company that we're working with, they've never sold an app before. So they're not sure how they're going to price it. And then we'll get a cut of whatever they're going to price their app at. Interesting. Do you envision that it's going to be sold through other organizations? There's a couple levels here. You could have the relationship with the student. In other words, if someone signs up and goes, I want to learn to read in this, and they sign up and can do it one, they're a relationship one to the company. Mm-hmm. Or a school could sign up with you and say, we're going to pay a fee and then provide this to all of our students. Or there could be a third party, which is what it sounds like the relationship you have now, where that third party says, just help us create the app. We'll sell it to whoever we can. That could be schools. It could be individuals, et cetera. Do you understand what I mean by those different possible customer types? Yes, exactly. So I think with the company we're working with now, they're going to sell the app and some paper products along with it. They're going to bundle it to partners who want, this is for youth and adult literacy, but here's how it gets complicated. So maybe their partners in Latin America can't afford the licensing fee. So then they'll have a corporation, maybe make a donation to the literacy company because the end goal is to have this product free for students. So that's one set of customers. Then another set of customers, because we're also talking to people like World Bank and World Reader. So multinational organizations working around the world. And with World Bank, especially some of the organizations, we're hoping that governments will want to approve literacy apps used in the school. Then we'd have a government contract. But yes, that would take a bazillion years to get. But that's another kind of client. (laughs) And then I've also thought about companies that had literacy material, paper-based literacy material that they would like appified, as we call it. Wow. I know. It's complicated, but it's fun, right? Because it's chewy material. No, I understand it. Before I actually even react to this, is there anything in particular you wanted to talk about today? Well, yeah, business model. Is this going to be sustainable? We hope so, because we love the idea. We consider being a nonprofit, but then it's writing grants. So business models and the other is part of it. And this is true. Like we're talking to World Bank and they said, have you worked in Africa before and does your solution work? And we have to say, no, we need some more pilots to prove that apps created on our platform really do indeed 
teach people to read. And you don't have evidence of that yet, correct? Correct. Okay. What's interesting about this is the product, I'm going to call it a product rather than an app. The product is designed as a one-on-one product. This is something which has individual utility as opposed to, for example, if you buy a messaging system, if you're a company, it's for group utility. You buy it for a group. But this is almost purely one-on-one. It's an individual interacting with it. And Part of your challenge here is saying, what is the right model for who pays for this? And what's the right model for who provides this to that end user? Gosh, let me think about how I would approach this if I was you. I think that it's going to be a sequential process as you learn what's happening in an individual region and what they're unique terms are. What I think you're doing actually right now, whether by design or by default, is probably the right one, which is you're letting someone else who already has these established relationships with other organizations, schools, groups, etc., who are trying to solve the literacy problem. You're letting them handle the entire problem of distribution, which is suboptimal from a revenue perspective because you're just basically wholesaling to someone and then they're going to potentially mark it up. But they're also absorbing all of the complexity of that distribution, which means you do not need at this point to build a function of sales, of distribution, of support, of maintenance, all the things you'd have to if you had hundreds of individual customers. And by individual customers, I meant, for example, you have 60 different school districts and you have 40 different organizations and you have 200 different individuals. That's a huge level of complexity, which considering where you are with the product, which is extremely early, is definitely something you don't want to distract yourself solving the problem with now. And so finding a partner, Mm -hmm. I think, is absolutely the right way to go. I think you should be extremely selective about what your definition is of a correct partner. Somebody who can just take the product and once they say, this is great, we have a product with teachers literacy, we'll take it from here, we'll get it in the hands of the people who need it, that's completely correct. But there was something about the current customer you mentioned that gave me a little bit of concern, the fact that they have no experience yet working with an app. Because I think what you're looking for is not just somebody who has experience reaching out to customers who are looking for literacy solutions. I think you're looking for someone who understands how to distribute a technological solution for a literacy problem. Because once you find that, you'll be learning very, very specific and targeted things about who are the real customers here. How do they actually use this? All the things you're eventually going to want to know as you begin building this out and it begins spreading around the world. The other thing that you need to resolve early on is exactly what you identified is you need proof points that this works. And I think you need that quickly. I'm sure that you would agree with me that that's one of the things you're probably very, very eager to find out because that underpins everything. I would also hope that the partner you find is completely aligned 
in that that's one of the big initiatives of this first stage of the project is that they're expected not just to maximize your revenue, but that what you need from them even more than revenue is the feedback is the, does this work? Do you have the resources or can you help us find out and do the studies to determine what impact this app actually has relative to other materials and other techniques that they're currently using? Mm -hmm. um, I think picking the right partners critical here. And the last thing that jumps out at me is I would absolutely not add much complexity to your business until you've got a few of these things figured out. Meaning one partner, and if it's the right partner, one partner. If it's you're not sure, maybe you have two or three, but wow, I would stay extremely focused. I would absolutely pick one region of the world. I would try and control for as many variables as you can while you begin to figure out this initial stage. Everything is so fragile at this point. So in other words, I think your business model is correct that you ultimately at this point just need to find out if it works and a partner who can take the product and worry about everything else from there is the right way to do it. Eventually, this has the potential to be a classic SaaS type product where you charge by the seat, you distribute it centrally from wherever you are to wherever it needs to be. And people along the way are acting more as sales partners, but you're actually the one providing the service and managing those relationships. But wow, you're a long way from being there. Is this at all online with your experience or what you're uh, bumping into? No, I think that's exactly right. And ask us how excited we are that we have our first paying customer because what we're learning, even how to build out the app is amazing because there's so many details as you can imagine that you, oh, you don't really know until you start to get down, <laughs> yes, until you get down in the weeds and you think huh how are we going to work with numerals for instance so yeah i think our partner is right on the money for that because they've also done a lot of research they're really big into adult literacy here in the states and they know how to do research in paper-based anyways does this intervention work so I think we'll be able to and, do that with the digital app, too, because we're going to be collecting so much information on our back end. Have you done direct work with your app? Do you have beta, so to speak, customers here in the U.S. that you're working with right now to, to see how the app works? No, because no, but no, it does. But no, we haven't because my brain is so focused on developing countries. I haven't thought about it, just doing it locally, even where I live. I assume there's illiteracy here in the United States, or am I overly uh, confident? No, and how we even got started doing this was, is there a literacy problem in the United States? We got started with this business, do you know about the XPRIZE competition? Uh-huh, yes. Five years ago, almost six years ago, my co-founder, Frank Ho, who's based in Hong Kong, we met on the XPRIZE portal website and we decided that we had complementary skills because he's a tech guy and I'm a teacher and a writer. So we joined forces and started our company to get to Adult Literacy XPRIZE. So we were finalists in the Adult Literacy XPRIZE. So we have some experience field testing our app. Where? In the United States, in Texas, Dallas, and Los Angeles. We became finalists, but we weren't the grand prize winners. So our app, we call that V1, didn't meet the criteria to be like the grand prize winner for X Prize. So we did win $100,000 for being X Prize finalists. So I took that $100,000 and did V2 of our app. And now we're on V3 of our app. 
So are yes, you there is a huge. Continuing though to work with these programs in Los Angeles and Texas to continue to validate the progress of the app. No, because we re-architected the whole app, and so we have to take the literacy curriculum we developed for the X Prize and put it into our new format. The only reason I'm harping on that is certainly the challenges which you articulated go up exponentially as you layer on these different developing country issues. So layer one, you don't have internet. Great. Okay, layer two, you don't have a smartphone. Each time you do that, you make it even more and more difficult to help solve the problem. And I'm just saying, why not start with the easy stuff, which is people who do have smartphones, who do have internet, and just determine that your approach actually is a viable way to help and is more effective than what's currently being done. Little by little, then that answers the question of does it work? And then you begin to increment the complexity of the problem you're trying to solve. Yes. So in order to do some kind of pilot in the States, we need to work with a partner who has U.S.-based literacy curriculum and then turn that curriculum into our app and run through the same process again. Because right now we don't have any apps built out in any language except the one in Spanish that we're working with our current partner. So right now we wouldn't have anything to pilot. I understand. Okay. There's a parallel here and it's a startup-y thing. But when you're launching a tech company in a classic market, let's say you're just doing a standard app, you would start off and the first thing you'd need to prove is, does the technology work? And that's a huge unknown. When you have whatever little investment dollars, it's almost entirely focused on the technology and getting the technology to work. Mm -hmm. You're not worrying about anything else. You're not hiring salespeople. You're not working on a user interface. You're not worried about pricing, about support, all those things. You go, we just need to get this technology to work. And that's what the whole company's focused on. And then lo and behold, wow, we get the technology to work. Now the question is, do customers want it? But you don't pick a hundred customers, you pick five and work really closely and you begin learning all of a sudden, oh my gosh, all these assumptions were wrong. They're using it a different way. There are beta customers. And usually the beta customers are ones who are right there. So you have this really rapid feedback loop. When you try something, what do the beta customers say? Oh my gosh, we got to fix it. But you're not, again, you're not worried about broad release. Then all of a sudden you go, okay, we think we have a product. We've watched customers use it. Our beta customers use it. It appears to work for them. We know there's a bunch of issues. Let's go into broad release. Now you go from five customers to 50 or to 500. You're still not worrying about sales. Now you're saying, does this thing work at scale? And you do that for six months, 12 months, 18 months. It works at scale. Now you begin saying, okay, we have a product that works at scale. The technology works. It works at scale. It meets customers' needs. Now how do we sell it? And you begin to begin hiring salespeople. You learn what the sales model is. How do you support it? Now it works for small companies. Now it works for big companies. In other words, each time you go through these cycles of increasing complexity of the problem you're trying to solve, it's a one thing at a time model. And if a startup had said, all right, we're going to raise money and right out the gate, we're going to try and simultaneously solve the technology and figure out whether it meets customers' needs and whether it can meet customers' needs at scale and work on what our sales and support models are. A, people would think they're crazy. And B, 
they would go out of business pretty fast because they'd burn through all this money, building out all this other stuff when the technology still hasn't been fine-tuned. That's kind of what I was beating around the bush trying to understand about what you're doing, is there's an order of operations here, and you need to be really careful about jumping too far forward. And some things, as I mentioned, I think you're doing right, which is you're not worried about support. You're not worried about sales. You're not worried about all those pieces. You're having some other partner deal with all of that for you. But you are working in a market which is a long way away from you, which is not one that you have direct feedback to, where you can tweak the product, look and see what happens, oh my gosh, people are confused, bring it back, tweak it again, push it out, tweak it again, push it out. You have to figure out, guess what's going to work and give it to these guys and see what happens. That's a very, very long way of me circling back to why I was saying it makes a lot of sense sometimes to partner with someone who's right next door in a language that you know, where you can literally, since you are a teacher and a writer, sit in the back of the classroom watching classes use this and then refining what works, what works. And a couple things happen. You begin to build the robustness of the app. You begin to make it even stronger and much faster. And then other thing is when you do go to the Gates Foundation and say, we'd like you to give us $50 million, we can provide this free to some huge portion of the world. And they ask the question, does it work? Well, you absolutely have all kinds of empirical data that says it does because you've collected that right close to home. And the risk you might be asking them to take is we've proven it works in the United States. We have now, next 18 months from now, we've proven it works in other countries. We've proven it works on a non-smartphone. Each time you have more proof and you can scale even bigger. That's how no, we... No, that uh, sounds like... That's, <laughs> but, but that sounds like a good idea. So the partner we're working with now... No, I love this because this is where my brain's going ping, ping, ping. We're calling it phase one. So we're building out one lesson for our partner, and then they're going to pilot that one lesson. It's, you know, a lot of screens, but it's one full lesson. But their partners in Colombia and Mexico and get feedback. Then based on the feedback, we're going to tweak what they said and then continue to build out the rest of the app. Fantastic. But my idea is this too. So once we have the app in Spanish, I live in an area where there's a lot of Spanish speaking people. So I could then go in physically, okay, with my mask on and see how people are actually using it and where they get hung up. Exactly. That's exactly what you want to be doing. And I've been in the software business for 25 years, something like that. And originally, when I started, when people were doing a software product, they would do a new version every 12 months. And then people said, we should really want to accelerate this process. And you do a new version every six months. And then I think we were doing Netflix, we would push a new version of our website every two weeks. And now, of course, most products update themselves sometimes every couple of days because mm -hmm. that's how quickly they're learning what works, what doesn't work, and then modifying it. And I think the faster you can get those cycles of learn, input, change, test, learn, input, change, test, the better. Well, anyway, Dana, this has been great. I hope some of it has helped. I think the thing you're trying to solve is important. And so on behalf of the billion people in the world who would benefit greatly from being able to read and write, I sincerely hope that this product gets tremendous success. Well, thanks, Mark. It's been a real joy to be on the show and listen to your advice. So my best takeaway is once I get the app from our partners, I can start using it locally to see what works and doesn't work. 
I absolutely would do that. I think you'll be amazed. That issue of you being able to go and sit in doesn't need a plane ticket. There's people who are right next door who can be tremendous beta customers for you. And I think you learn a lot from them. All right, I'm going to check in with you. Maybe, I don't know, let's say six months, nine months from now, and we're going to see how things are going. And I'm going to trust that you've made tremendous progress. I will have, thank you. Well, as expected for someone tackling a global problem, Dana has a lot on her plate. And that's why I told her that the best way I know of to achieve big goals is to start small. And for Dana... I think that means simply gathering feedback on our app at a small scale to prove that it does, in fact, help people learn. If she can focus more locally and start getting that kind of feedback, she'll be in a great position to scale this product up. I can't wait till the next time we chat, where I'll find out whether she took my advice and just where in the world her app has traveled to. Well, that's all for today, and thanks to my guests for entrusting their business to me for a little while. I look forward to hearing back from them in a few months to see if my advice helped. In the meantime, if you want to be a guest on That Will Never Work, I've made it really easy. Just go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest, fill out the form, and leave a voice message right there on the site. While you're there, sign up to get my weekly entrepreneurial advice delivered right to your inbox. Or connect with me on Twitter at M.B. Randolph. Or on Instagram at That Will Never Work. Or my newest attempt at denying my age on TikTok, where I promise you won't ever find me dancing without a shirt on. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button and leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time. <laughs>